Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Richard Vague about government and banking impacts on the future of business and work. Richard Vegg, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you today. We're going to be discussing the impacts of government and banking on business, the current state of business, but also impacts on the future of business and the future of work. As we get started, I wanted to share Richard's bio with everybody. Richard Vegg serves as Pennsylvania Banking and Securities Secretary. Prior to his 2020 appointment, he was managing partner of Gabrielle Investments and chair of the, of the Governor's Woods Foundation, a nonprofit philanthropic organization. Previously, he was co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Energy Plus, an electricity and natural gas company. Vegg was also co-founder and CEO of two banks and founder of the economic data service Tycos. His new book is An Illustrated Business History of the United States by University of Pennsylvania Press. You can find out more about him at richardvegg.com. It's a pleasure to have you, Richard. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, anything else you would like to share with uh, listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in further? Uh, not at all. You have a great show and it's a privilege to be here. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And it, it really is a pleasure to have you. So why don't we start out by unpacking a little bit, talking about government and banking impacts. Um, and let's start with government. So what is the role of government? What do you see as the role of government in business through time? Looking at kind of the history of the U.S., this is going to be a, a U.S.-centric um, kind of a conversation, though certainly there will be principles uh, that, that spread beyond the U.S., but throughout the history of the U.S. and, and the ebbs and flows of the nature of our government, uh, what has that impact been on business over time? Despite beliefs to the contrary, the U.S. government has been heavily involved in business since the earliest days, it was obviously very instrumental during the American Revolution in identifying manufacturers, teaching them how to do interchangeable part manufacturing, financing many of them. After the revolution, it was deeply involved in trying to steal industrial secrets from Great Britain. It was somewhat successful in this, set up a lot and financed a lot of the early manufacturing efforts of the country. Then after that, it was deeply involved in canals and railroads, which really powered the U.S. through the 19th century. Uh, it was the state government of New York that financed the Erie Canal at a time when private capital was insufficient to do that deeply involved in railroads, which were rigged really by far the biggest industry of the 
19th century uh, through land grants, through direct financing, uh, whether it's the Illinois Central, which was the longest railroad in the world until just a few years later, the Transcontinental Railroad took it. And then even as recently as the iPhone, uh, one analyst showed that the 12 major components that make the iPhone possible, such as GPS, the internet itself, touchscreen technology, all came directly or indirectly from government-funded research. So the government's been there all along and deeply involved. How do you see the the level of that involvement over time? So clearly it has always been involved to some extent. Uh, has, has that grown over time? Has it stayed fairly consistent over time? It has ebbed and flowed. And I think an important example of that is the funding of basic research in the United States. That can be basic computer research. A lot of that is medical and healthcare research. Uh, the government funded the mRNA technology that uh, is the key part of the vaccines we've all been getting. Uh, but core research, this is non-commercial research, currently is at a level that's two thirds lower than it was in the 1960s with the Apollo moonshot project and, and other things of that sort. So I'd say we're in one of those periods where government is under investing and that's a key item, especially when you look at the race we are in in so many areas with China. Yeah, and, and if you make the comparison, say, directly to a China, and now clearly they, they have a, a whole different approach and philosophy around how, the, how government is involved and invests in business uh, than we do. Um, but it is important to note because, you, you know, from a political standpoint, in political ideologies, people tend to latch on, you know, to the socialist communist argument, you know, about why government shouldn't be involved in business. Yet the reality is, you know, th those are kind of bugaboo scare words. Um, the reality is government has always been involved in business in the United States. And it is in, in pretty much every country around the world to one extent or another. It's just a matter of how much and what the ebb and flow is. And like you said, right now, we're, we're, the pendulum has swung back a bit and we're not as heavily, the government's not as heavily involved in investment uh, into business and research as it once was. Um, but that very easily, and I suspect likely, will um, swing back at some point. Yeah, I think the competition with China, which stems all of the areas which are the future, this is electric vehicles, this is supercomputing, this is uh, quantum encryption. This is communication, you know, 5G and 6G and 7G, for, for goodness sake. In uh, all of those areas, we're suddenly realizing that not only is China catching up, but China has surpassed us in a few areas. And, and it kind of don't, it doesn't matter what your political ideology is. You know, I, I think when you're falling behind other major competitors, you put your businesses at a disadvantage in setting world protocols and world standards and getting world market share. So I think this is a time for us to be upping our game. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So let's shift gears now and talk a little bit about the role of banks 
in business over time. Now, clearly there's a connection between um, government and banks as well, but let's try to parse that out and, and talk a little bit more specifically about the role of banks in business. Well, I, I'm, I was a career banker, you know, for 30 years I was in that industry and, and yet I had never studied the history of that banking. And I have been doing that extensively, not only for this book, but for other purposes. And what's interesting to me is that banks, financial institutions were the first big businesses in the United States. The first bank was the Bank of North America. Thomas Willing was the president. And 10 years later, we, we chartered the first so-called central bank, the first bank of the United States. Thomas Willing was, was nominated to be president of that institution as well. Um, the stocks that were traded on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, under the buttonwood tree that we've all read about, were pretty much all banks and insurance companies. So the, the first sophisticated business sector in the United States, besides farming, which was obviously there all along, was the banking industry. And it was that banking industry that made possible the transatlantic trade and that made possible the Industrial Revolution. We would not have had an industrial revolution in England or the United States if there hadn't been a fairly mature, rapidly growing um, uh, uh, banking uh, industry. Yeah, and and of course now we're in the the fourth phase, the fourth wave of the industrial revolution. Um, knowledge economy, uh, high tech industries, service sector uh, oriented businesses are predominant, and. I, I suspect, you know, that, that that banking has played a key role in all the evolutions and the growth as we proceeded through the last couple hundred years. Does that sound correct? Absolutely. You know, up to and including the, the present and up to and including um, technology companies. Yeah. So we know that, you know, if you look at the long view of history over the last couple hundred years and you look at the role of government and banking in you know, right now we're just looking in the United States. Um, they they have set the stage, created the conditions under which um, economic development can occur, under which innovation can occur as we go through various stages of the Industrial Revolution, and ultimately it it has created the environment in which we do business today. So that now the question is, you know, what what do we see moving into the future? Are things going to stay fairly consistent? I mean, obviously there's pendulum swings and there's ebbs and flows. But do we see a, basically a similar trajectory moving into the future, uh, or do we see these mega corporations playing a new and an enhanced role in the in the develop you know societal development and economic development of entire countries? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. 
There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. I think there are profound shifts underway. And I think large uh, companies, perhaps even uncomfortably large companies, uh, will play a disproportionate role in that. They certainly did in the late 1800s, where you saw mega corporations like United States Steel uh, and um, uh, uh, Standard Oil uh, playing huge roles. I, I think we have that situation today. But I think we're seeing a sea change in business. Um, one of the things that's going to be happening in increasing uh, amounts going forward is we are going to be transforming ourselves. And, and by that, I mean two things. One of them is the genetic engineering revolution. We are now going in in medicine and re-engineering the DNA. And, you know, a lot of the applications are disease combat financing or opportunities, such as cures for certain kinds of cancer, where we take the body's T cells out, reconfigure the DNA and reinsert those T cells into the body. And they've been reprogrammed to fight the tumor. Well, we're doing, you know, and by the way, the folks that are about to die of cancer are cured in, a, in, a, in two or three days. So, you know, these are transformative miracles, but all that we are learning about changing the DNA of the body will lead, I think, inevitably to our ability to change the, the body in all sorts of ways that don't relate to fighting disease, uh, including vanity transformations uh, uh, of the body, not just for our offspring, but perhaps even for ourselves. This is going to explode over the next 10 or 20 years. We also see a massive move towards uh, changing ourselves digitally. This is the metaverse that all of a sudden everybody is talking about. But some futurists have been talking for some time about the fact that they believe that we are going to, within the next generation or two, live fully digital lives. Uh, and, you know, that perhaps that's far-fetched. I think that that's something that perhaps at certain levels is already occurring. Some folks are living many hours of their lives through avatars. So, you know, the, these two things are happening. And I think they kind of fit in with something I'm observing, uh, which is a, a transformation of business from fulfilling the basic necessities of life into being more oriented towards entertainment, distraction, comfort controversy. So if you look back even 20 years, you know, all the biggest companies in the country were about providing fairly fun fundamental practical needs, you know, gasoline for your car, um, things of that sort. 
for the first time, we're seeing companies like Facebook emerge up toward that, you know, and entertainment's always been there, but it's always been smaller. And today it's starting to emerge where many of these companies are becoming among the largest in the, in the country. And I think that's a function of our wealth. You know, we've, we, we, we don't have as much urgency about, you know, just simple feeding ourselves. We're now starting to live lives that are about comfort, controversy, distraction, uh, and it's it's a it's an interesting change, and it's a it's a thought provoking change, but I think it's a real change. Yeah, that's that's super interesting, and it's a little scary, you know, the thought of being, you know, living one hundred percent or close to it one hundred percent digital lives um, in a metaverse. You know, I suppose there's benefits to that, um, but it also seems just genuinely scary to me <laughs> that, you know, that may be the direction that we're going, but maybe I'm growing into an old fuddy-duddy um, here in my early forties <laughs> and maybe I'll, I'll learn to, to grow and adapt over time. But um, so you, you, you illustrate the, the disruptive technologies though, that are also heavily involved in shaping and even perhaps reshaping um, the world of business and the world of work and the metaverse is a really great example. Um, now already during the pandemic, we've moved, so many people have moved, you know, either 100% or really close to it, um, virtual work where they're, they're zooming in, they're, they're using teams or whatever to connect with people virtually and they're just working remotely. Um, now, if, if you're working remotely, the idea of a metaverse and where you can actually be in a, in a, have an avatar and be digitally connected with members of your team, even when you're all scattered throughout the world in a much more um, interactive way, that actually sounds like that would be pretty cool. Um, so I guess there's pros and cons, right? And, and it just illustrates, again, these disruptive technologies. And there's lots of others. You talked about genetic um, uh, technologies, um, blockchain. I, you know, I imagine you could talk a long time about blockchain and the role that that's playing in, in banks and in business moving forward. Um, the, the bottom line is all of this is shifting really quickly. You know, the sands are shifting underneath our feet in terms of, of the, the structure, the components of, of the economy, the global economy, how we all interconnect and interact with each other and how businesses, government um, and do that as well. And, and ultimately, so much of this is unknown. So, so we're kind of figuring it out as we go. And that means there's going to be a lot of growing pains, a lot of hiccups. And a lot of people are really concerned, for example, the ethical considerations around some of these new technologies, um, but also the social economic disparities that we see, the growing disparities across the globe in terms of access uh, and, and different dis, dis, uh, disadvantaged and marginalized populations or or societies around the, the world. And, and all of this is really complex and it's only going to continue, I think, to be a really messy issue um, because all of this is, we're, we're just diving into the unknown and we really don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, and and one of the things we do know is that the faster the rate of change, the more likely a, a violent counteraction is going to be. You know, when we when we saw a really fundamental uh, Islam uh, 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 of uh, the Muslim religion, it wasn't evidence that that society was going backwards. 
evidence that society was moving forward too rapidly. You know, a lot of the reactionary things we see in the United States are not a sign that we're moving backwards. There are signs that we're moving forward too rapidly. And I think if you couple that with the observation you made that inequality is increasing, and we can see this very clearly in the numbers over the last two to three decades, where you have a larger proportion of the U.S. population really struggling financially, it's a tough combination. And it's a combination that isn't being addressed adequately. So I think there's going to be, you, know, you expressed you know, uh, the sentiment that some of this is scary. Well, I think you add all those things together, it could be quite scary. Yeah, yeah. Well said, Richard. Well, I'm noting the time and I'm going to have to let you go here in just a few minutes. But before we close today, and this is we just scratched the surface of a super interesting conversation. Before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about the work that you're doing, uh, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You can find out about my books and other activities at richardvague.com. That's spelled V-A-G-U-E. Um, and you'll see several books that we published, including a new one that we just published on debt jubilee, which I think is a, a topic that fits right into the discussion we've been having here. Um, but I would just say, you know, the things that you're touching on in your show are important to the future of our country. I really appreciate the fact that you're doing it. I appreciate the opportunity to visit. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the website, check out what Richard can do for you, check out his books. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.